1: wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world?
3: How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts?
2: Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery, Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts.
4: Hey, this is Chris in the All Creatures Podcast, and I'm just going to set up this interview because we did it more of a roundtable discussion with a group that I was just so fortunate to be able to to meet and interview for our podcast this week, and that is the koala team from the San Diego Zoo. This was a huge treat for me. As many of you know that listen to the podcast, uh, San Diego's where I grew up. The San Diego Zoo is the one institution on earth that influenced me so much as a young child, and then as I grew up into my teenage years, and really gave me direction on what I want to do with my life, which in end led to this podcast many years later. I won't tell you how many years later, but quite a few. So, um, we reached out to the San Diego Zoo, and they they were very kind to us to allow us to to meet with their koala team and interview them about. You know, not only what it takes to take care of these animals under human care, but also what's going on out in the wild. It is incredible what the San Diego Zoo and that organization is doing for wildlife throughout the world. And we discuss it in the interview. So I was able to drive down to San Diego, meet with the keepers. They'd just gotten off work. So, you know, we met right there in Balboa Park, right across the entrance to the San Diego Zoo. And we just had a great discussion, so I really, really hope you enjoy this interview. It was a pleasure, so thank you to the San Diego Zoo and their koala team for taking the time out of their day to talk to us and spread the knowledge, because that is what we need to do, is just keep spreading the knowledge on these animals and continue to fight for them in the wild. Enjoy. So, welcome. I'm in San Diego at the uh, beautiful Balboa Park, my hometown, and I've got a group of koala keepers from the San Diego Zoo here. I'm super excited, as usual, uh, to be interviewing them. So thank you for, for agreeing to do this interview. You're welcome. You had no choice. We're <laughs> excited, too. They, folks, they had no choice. They, 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 their bosses said, you will do this interview. No, we, we do appreciate you taking your time. I know uh, you had an opportunity to say no, and, and you said you would. So we're sitting here in beautiful San Diego, and I just quickly want, if each of you can just introduce yourselves and your current roles at the San Diego Zoo. Uh,
2: My name is Lindsay King. I am a senior koala keeper at the San Diego
0: Zoo. I'm Candice Malcolm, and I'm a koala keeper at the San Diego Zoo. And my name is Jennifer Rossler, and I am a senior mammal keeper and working with the koalas.
4: Yay. <laughs> you know, I, if anybody listens to the podcast, they know the San Diego Zoo is my zoo. That is my zoo. I grew up since I was four years old coming down to the zoo. I've seen the zoo grow. So this one's a real treat for me to, uh, to be outside its gates talking to you. So I, I guess what would be really cool is if you talk about just your journey... Uh, how you ended up at the, the San Diego Zoo, you know, uh, your background, you know, where you went to school, or, you know, how you got involved there?
2: Um, oh, gosh. You know, I, I feel like we're all animal lovers as kids, and I went to zoo camp at Busch Gardens when I was in high school, and I knew I, you know, I loved picking up hippo poop for some reason, so I <laughs> realized that that was a different course. So, um, I went to school at the University of Vermont for animal science. And um, did a bunch of internships at different zoos. Worked at a zoo outside Philadelphia in Norristown, Pennsylvania for a year. And then I thought, you know what? If you're going to be a zookeeper, why not try to be a zookeeper at San Diego Zoo? So I applied, and they hired me. (laughs) And um, I've been at the zoo for about 13 and a half years, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've worked all over the zoo. But um, I went to Australia in 2011 on a, a work exchange and fell in love with marsupials and came back and basically demanded to be put on the koala team. Took a couple years for that to come through, but uh, it's been worth it. It's
4: yeah. been amazing. Awesome, awesome.
2: <laughs> uh, so same type
3: of deal with being always being an animal lover growing up. Um, younger days, you really only hear about if you want to work with animals, you become a vet. Um, so that's what I said I wanted to do, and then as I got older and realized what vets actually do, I said, no way. That is not what I want to do. Um, so I actually didn't discover zookeeping until after high school, and I was watching a show on Animal Planet about caring for baby marsupials, and, um, that just triggered something, and I said, what do I need to do to be able to do that, to just actually take care of the animals, and started researching, applied for college right away, (laughs) Um, went to a community college for a couple years and then I was lucky enough to start the uh, zoo program at the Santa Fe Teaching Zoo. Um, So I got my degree in zoo animal technology there, fell in love with all kinds of things, but I always was passionate about marsupials. I don't know why, I just think they're really cool and unique, so they're just, you know, you hear people, I want to be a great ape keeper. I want to be a big cat keeper. And I was the weird girl that was like, I want to work with my So um, I had an opportunity to work with tree kangaroos very closely at school. Um, and then through volunteering and then my uh, first paid zookeeper job was uh, in Tennessee, and I got to work with some wallabies there, a program wallaby, and it just kind of spurred on my love for marsupials, um, even though I worked with a lot of different animals, fell in love with a lot of different animals, um, and my koala journey started in Dallas. Uh, we actually had lone koalas from San Diego Zoo, um, so I was lucky enough um, to be able to work with them for a couple years, and then I heard of a position opening at San Diego Zoo with the koalas. And I wasn't actually planning on leaving Texas anytime soon, Um, but I was told, obviously, if you want to work with koalas, San Diego is the place to do it outside of Australia. Um, So, I applied, and
4: they hired me too!
3: (laughs) And it was crazy! So... Um, yeah, that's and I've been here just shy of two years, so I'm I'm the newest koala team member.
0: Well, my journey was a little different. <laughs> um, I found my love for koalas when I was twelve and received my first ko- stuffed koala for Christmas, and from there my passion just grew. Um, I was very fortunate in high school that junior-senior year, they um, offered opportunities for animal care classes, and half of those uh, days were actually spent at the zoo. So it was kind of a nice opportunity to get to know the keepers. Uh, Initially, I didn't think I wanted to be a zookeeper, but it's um, amazing when you uh, work with the, um, the keepers themselves and you get to know them a lot more and what they do and what they take care of you kind of start loving that um, particular job. And so what ended up happening is I got a position in the children's zoo, uh, continued going to school at the University of Toledo, and in the meantime, one of the gorilla keepers was injured, and uh, I kind of floated into that position for a couple of months while another keeper decided to leave Toledo, and uh, I was able to apply for position, and I uh, was granted the opportunity of being a full-time keeper. Uh, six months later, I found out they were getting koalas from San Diego Zoo. And uh, from then on, I just took care of koalas at Toledo Zoo. And I was working koalas for 11 years. They had um, two koalas on loan, uh, permanent loan. Uh, but it's very expensive to have koalas uh, outside of San Diego area. And so... Um, when they decided to end the loan, of course, I was very, very sad. Uh, it took me four years to get back to working with koalas, and here I am in San Diego. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, to uh, be able to move right into the koala position, uh, knowing the koala keepers. So uh, my my previous experience really helped me get in the door here, and uh, I've been uh, here for 13 years now and loving every minute of it.
4: Wow. So you all—I mean, so—so uh, so besides koalas, do you have another favorite animal, or is it—is it koalas? Tree kangaroos. Tree-rus, tree-rus. I love tree kangaroos. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I
2: don't know. I always thought like if I had my own zoo, it would have like all the marsupials and mountain lions and spotted hyenas oh, and yeah. lemurs and all kinds of bats. So, so you just love everything, like so a little bit of everything, but like not everything, like very specific, strange collection that
0: is like personally valuable to soul. me. Yeah, Spacey yeah, soul. for sure. <laughs> is-
1: um,
0: well, koalas for sure, but yeah. if it wasn't koalas, uh, parky Oh yeah,
4: parky Yeah, are I worked with a few
0: porcupines. primes <laughs> That is awesome. and,
4: yeah, so, I grew attached. You know, one of the things because I mean, I'm, I'm sure our listeners, especially our younger listeners. Loving animals, loving zoos, want to work at the zoo. So would you say your, your interest in conservation began when you were really young, or is it just something you stumbled into as you got older?
3: I think mine, for sure. I mean, growing up, you watch different things on TV, like Animal Planet or Discovery Channel. Um, but it for me, the conservation part of it came more from the teaching zoo program. Kind of once I was more in school in animal sciences, and you learn more about the detrimental mm-hmm. <laughs> state that the environment is in and um the animals and everything. So that's kind of when it probably started for me.
2: Yeah, I would say similar, not until I was like really learning about it in school that I think, Oh my goodness, what have we done? Like right. right. How how are we possibly gonna fix this fix it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's I mean, you start young going, oh, I've got this affinity for an animal. But until you get older and you start really looking into it, um, you don't know what, you know. It's co- yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, with the koalas, uh, it's surprising the, um, the plight that they're facing, just like any other animal. And it's hard when uh, people come to the zoo and they're like, oh, you know. But it's like you don't understand every animal in this zoo it, you know in, in they're in the they're, wild. Yeah. They're, they're
3: fighting for their lives, yeah. basically.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When so many people talk about how like zoos are so horrible and the animals are in cages, I think people fail to really understand how bad the wild situation is right. too. Like,
4: yeah, that's what we try to get across. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, Aww. when we were doing why zoos matter, we 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 talked about I talked about the impact San Diego Zoo had on on my experience as a young man or child. And one of the uh, exhibits, I believe it was by the gorillas, that it was the rainforest. And I don't know if it's still there. They, we kind of laughed that this was so long ago. <laughs> it was probably long gone. But it was like what we get from the rainforest, the products, and then the, the signage or the display right next to it was this is what's happening to the rainforest. And as a young kid, I didn't realize that. So as keepers, do you realize the impact you have on thousands of people that come to the zoo each day with your conservation message? I mean sometimes you don't appreciate it from your 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 view.
3: I mean we hope we have yeah. an impact. So yeah. that's we don't that's have what we now. hope yeah. that
2: we're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you never know. I mean, yeah, a huge part of our job is taking care of the animals, but right. it's it's also making sure that people have that takeaway. Yes, you got to come see some cute, cuddly animals, but now what? Mm-hmm. Like Did you, did you learn something cool about an animal you didn't know or did you learn what's happening to their habitat and and like, what can you do about it? So that's something that we try to get across, but you don't always know.
3: People don't always tell us.
4: I'll I'll tell you. Yes, you do. You you absolutely do. And it does make an impact. And you know, from a young kid walking up and down those hills.
0: (laughs) You'll never forget that. No, 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 but
4: you know, and seeing the keepers out there cleaning and I was like, oh man, that would be the coolest job and and I know young people feel that way. So, you know, thank you. You do have an impact. You just don't realize it. You do. It may not be every, it's obviously not every single person that comes by there because they don't appreciate what you do, but you are making an impact on, especially our youth because they're, they're
2: important. I will say that like. Since I've been a zookeeper, I've seen so many kids who are like little Spitfires. They know so much about animals that sometimes I feel like I gotta go back to school. <laughs> but, and like in that regard, you know, like we have these zoo camps come through and these kids are so passionate about animals. And it makes me feel inspired because we know that there's someone coming behind us that mm-hmm. wants to do the same thing that we're doing. So. Yep. We're, we're hopefully leaving it in good hands as yes.
0: well. Yeah. It's yeah. nice to hear that little kid say, I want your job. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I've tried to groom my
3: nieces and nephews that I have from a very young age. Yeah. And it's so cool. You know, my sister will call and say that, you know, my five-year-old nephew corrected somebody because he called a someone called a gorilla a monkey, and he says, no, that's an ape, and that's when I know that I've made a
4: difference. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, it it is. It's critical. It's really important. All right, so let's talk koalas. So I guess, you know, it, it may be helpful to the listeners if you describe an average day of keeping with the koalas, but with some of the work you do, maybe some of the training, talk about, because this is the dirty side of the job because it, it, it's yeah. not all rainbows and unicorns, it's, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's, not, not, it's not all. It's a <laughs> lot of cleaning, a lot of poop. Great. A lot.
2: <laughs> I mean, I guess we can start with that. We have the largest collection of northern koalas, Queensland koalas outside of Australia. So, we've got, what, 25, 20. 26 mm-hmm. right now. But a couple coming back from loan in a couple weeks here. So, full house, lots of mouths to feed. Um, you know, uh, koalas only eat eucalyptus, so we have a crew that brings in hundreds of pounds of eucalyptus a week. Um, gosh, I should count it up sometimes, but um probably takes us about two, two and a half hours to process the food, the eucalyptus, to feed out to the koalas every day. We um, we think? Maybe like 300 pounds, two, three hundred pounds a yeah, day yeah, of eucalyptus. They yeah. us eat-
3: about these huge... About 50-pound bundles, and then we have to bust those open and make individual bundles for all of the individual koalas. So, And we go through probably about seven or so of those 50-pound bundles. So,
2: 300 pounds plus of eucalyptus for each koala Mm -hmm. to eat a pound and
0: a half to two pounds Mm
2: -hmm. of it.
0: (laughs) It's being wasteful. (laughs) They're picky eaters, and, you know, we have to cater to that. And they
3: only eat the top, you know, foot of the eucalyptus as well.
2: So. Yeah. so so we've got one person who focuses on that and the next person who will go and check out the colony, make sure everyone looks good and is healthy. And then, yeah, we start the the change out of pulling yesterday's eucalyptus, dumping water all over yourself in the process, <laughs>
4: um,
2: raking up all the little poop pellets, and um, so yeah, making sure health checks are good. We, we handle our koalas to get weights on them to make sure they're maintaining or if our moms have Joey's that everyone's growing in good health. Um yeah
0: what else right? but I have to say not you know there's no normal there's day. No there's normal no normal day. <laughs> day. Yeah. Oh uh, there's always a hiccup but yeah. Literally a <laughs> hiccup. Um but it keeps us busy and um keeps it interesting though. And we're a good team. We
4: work great together. Yeah. So what time does your day start at? 6 a.m. <laughs> so in the so
2: morning. Uh, yes. Yeah. 2.30. So you know what? As much as I, I'm still not a morning person after doing this for like 15 years, but it sure is nice to be off work at 2.30. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
4: That's true. It's a beautiful day, but uh, holidays, right? Uh, what are holidays? holidays? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. What I don't think any
0: keeper knows what a holiday <laughs> what is What are anymore. weekends?
4: Yeah, when's your weekend? <laughs> your weekend's like Tuesday, <laughs> Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday.
2: <laughs> it took uh a long time. Jenny has Saturday, Sundays off. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. That, that's very rare. Yeah. But you know what? It's great to be off during the week. There's no one else off. Got the world to yourself. <laughs> yes. You do. The, I love having weekdays off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. But yeah. I mean. But you wouldn't do it unless you loved it. Yeah, I
2: mean, we, we have times of the year where we're doing night watches and coming in in the middle of the night and taking care of sick animals. Like, yes, we leave our work here because our animals are here, but we we take all of the caring yeah. concern home.
4: Right. I mean, they take 24-7 care, so yeah. that's why holidays, weekends, you don't know what that is. So do you ever have nightmares about like, oh did I lock that service door well,
2: I And mean, I think you all have to. We're all human. <laughs> Everybody <is>. It happens, <laughs> yeah. you
1: know. Not since Thankfully, I really worked. But a I
2: would while say one. I would say so he, there, there came a point in my career where I decided that I don't want to work with big cats or bears oh,
4: anymore. Gosh, yeah. Well it's just, you just have so much to worry about. I mean you you have a lot of so responsibility and these animals depend on you. The zoo depends on you, right? Because if one little thing happens those up in the press people don't understand.
2: Yeah, we're very, we're very grateful yeah. and very lucky we have got a great team and, and so far. The
3: that's biggest so thing cool. with koalas, right, how do you tell that an animal that sleeps 20 hours a day is lethargic? Yeah, <laughs> But it doesn't I feel mean,
2: good.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's tough. It's, it's tough,
3: real yeah. tough.
2: They're It takes a special so person subtle. to be able to identify something that's not right with, with an animal that sleeps. They definitely don't show you, unless it's, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: Right, do you, I mean, does each one of them have individual personalities that you've gotten to know? Definitely. Like, okay, yeah, yeah.
2: Definitely. That's another thing, yeah. Like, an animal that sleeps so much, people just see them sitting up in the tree, it looks like little gray fuzzball, cute and cuddly, no. No. Um, they really prefer to cuddle their trees and not us. Like, we handle them, but... They're definitely not. Our collection is not those koalas you see people getting photos with in mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, we handle them knowing that they have very sharp claws and a very powerful bite that most of us have felt. Um, and I lost my train of thought,
0: but we <laughs> learned how to handle those situations. Yeah, yeah and, we, yeah, and we train each other. You know, when especially like when Candace mm-hmm. first came on, yeah, she had. She had worked with two koalas and now all of a two sudden- male koalas, Two male koalas, so I had
3: no exposure to females or Joey's. Mm-hmm. So that it was really a whole new world. Yeah.
0: So then all of a sudden you're taking care yeah. of 25, 26, and yeah, you got different personalities, different sizes. And
2: Never been chased by a koala before you got here. <laughs> I know, same. I mean, Gummy did we've, chase me, in oh, really? <laughs> we've, we've not we Really?
0: We've all been a-
3: chased by koalas.
2: <laughs> yeah. It happens.
3: It's the most terrifying and hilarious thing all at the same time <laughs> to be chased by a koala.
4: This is really slow motion, kind of like
3: a no, swap. No. Yeah. no, I think no, that's, that's what people place. think. Yeah. That people is think such a misconception. That, yeah, they just move slow because
2: they're mm. up in the tree. They will get at a book clip it. and they've got a little dash they Yeah, just scoot. They and, will
3: book it.
1: Yeah.
2: And they will like full on
3: charge you. Just her. Her. <laughs> but, but, like, but, like, don't get it. It's not,
2: like, a daily occurrence. No, no, no it's no, right, like, right. A, you know... And, and usually there's a really good reason for it. A lot of times, because we have this huge breeding colony, and koalas communicate a lot through smell. And when those girls are in estrus, boy, do they smell so good to those boys, oh, and yeah. they just want to climb they the wall to get there. And they will <laughs> they go... They take it out on us. They try to go over and through whatever they can, and sometimes the through is us. Um... But, you know, I wouldn't trade it because it's such a dynamic job. Like, we get to be a part of not only um, taking care of the whole collection, but the breeding program and um, the loan program. I mean, like, Jenny and Candace may not have fell in love with koalas as much had they not had the opportunity to see them in a zoo outside of Australia. I didn't grow up near a zoo. I don't even know how I ended up here because I didn't go to the zoo like a lot of kids do to find their passion in it. But, um yeah, this, this program is, is just really, it's cool and it's really different than other, any other keeper job that I've had as well, definitely.
4: Right, right, right. So, I mean, people love koalas. I mean, you know, like you said, Jenny had a, a stuffed koala as a kid, like I had a stuffed koala as a kid. So they're incredibly charismatic. People love them. But from your perspective, working with them day in, day out, what makes them special versus some of the other animals you worked with?
2: Okay. Uh-huh. I don't know what it is I know it's, I it's just, hard to put into it I think yeah. I think part of it comes from like knowing them individually and, and knowing that they are individuals um, it just kind of cracks open a special place in your heart but I don't know like you guys fell in love with them before you
3: any of them i did i mean obviously they are marsupials so i was drawn that way but i i especially i mean a sentence i said when i was in school was i want to be a koala keeper at the san diego zoo i said that sentence in my lifetime and so it's crazy that it actually <laughs> happened and very pretty short in my career um early on i should say um I lost my. I know. What we're, we're talking, talking about, about. Oh, loving koalas. Yeah, well, my them so special. So yeah, I don't know what it. I mean,
0: I think you fall in love with their cuteness, like when I you're think younger. That's what initially draws is, you yeah, in, and then their when cuteness, you either are looking into more information about a species, or when you actually have an opportunity to start working with them. Um, I think personality is the biggest thing. They all they. They look different, they sound different, they react different. Um, and then there's just those few that really, I mean, I love them all, but there's always those few that really just tug at your heart yeah. and they just capture you and you just, yeah.
2: Well, and I think too, it's a little bit of like a how is it possible
0: that this creature
2: lives in the eucalyptus forest that eats a plant tree that is toxic to like every other animal and it has survived you know it's just i don't know it kind of blows my mind a little bit and then also to see be a part of this breeding program and see these moms with their joeys and like it's always really neat to see maternal care and stuff but to to see these moms really take care of their little ones and see you know we get to a stage where sometimes we're weighing the joeys on their own and they'll let out this squawk And the moms come dashing down the tree. It's like, oh no, they, like, that is their kid. And they know. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. They're just so unique. They are very
3: unique. (laughs) Even within being a marsupial, they're unique. And I love, I love how hardwired they are. You know, I mean, they are just primitive in that way that they, whether they're in a zoo or in the wild, they are the exact same creature. Mm-hmm. Like they're probably one of the very few, if not the only animal in human care yeah. that basically lives the exact same that it does in the wild. Yeah. It eats the exact same thing. There are no supplements that we give koalas. Like yeah. eucalyptus, there's no pellet. Flies. That is what they eat. Um, and you don't see that a lot with other zoo animals. Um, And the fact that, you know, if you pluck leaves off of eucalyptus and put it in a bowl or on a plate, they don't know what to do with it. That's not how they are hardwired to eat their food. And so they would basically starve if we tried to feed them like that. So we have to feed them in a very natural way because that they're just so, I think it's crazy how just kind of how they're wired. Yeah. And they can't, like, veer off of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can't evolve any other way. So that's cool to me, too.
4: That's so interesting. And, you yeah, I was going to ask you other interesting facts. We know they move fast now. <laughs> <laughs> they have to eat the top of the eucalyptus trees. They're very picky eaters. Kind of like pandas. This low caloric diet. That's why they sleep 20 hours yep. a day. But, um, any other special things that listeners might not know about koalas?
2: Uh, I feel like if you haven't heard the sound a oh, koala yes. makes, you need to YouTube it. YouTube koala bellow. Yeah, well, koala bellow. You never would think that sound it is come such out a of cool that sounds. cute, cuddly little <laughs> animal.
4: <laughs> it's like the Tazzy uh, yeah, yeah, devil. devil. Yeah, yeah, Tazzy
2: devil, yeah. Like, <laughs> like what in the world? Thing. Yeah, those Australian animals, man.
4: That's awesome. It's awesome. Yep. So, okay, so the San Diego Zoo, obviously the, the leader in koalas, it's, it's outside of Australia. So, what's really the goal of the San Diego State program with Koala specifically? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> you <opened your> mouth. <laughs> I know. Um, so, I think the uh, the main goal, obviously, we are part of a breeding program and a loan program. Um, so, wow. basically, to just sustain um, a genetically diverse population, um, kind of, you know, whether it's an insurance population, if something just really goes awry in the wild in Australia, um, but also ultimately with the loan program to bring koalas to people that typically wouldn't see them. You know, it costs a lot of money to go to Australia, <laughs> um, or in we only have a handful of zoos, even in the U.S., that have koalas that are on loan or have their own separate set. Um, so it's still they're still pretty rare to see, um, but just being able to kind of expand the reach and um, to bring koalas to more people and educate them about them. Yeah. ultimately. ultimately. <laughs> so kind of the
4: ambassador program, and is there an SSP set up for koalas that you guys are involved with? There
2: is.
3: Yeah.
4: There is
2: an SSP, and and we hold the stud book. So our um, management here is responsible for making genetic pairings and sending koalas here. Or there, you know, we send koalas to Europe to help kind of fortify their populations out there to a point where I think they're probably kind of on on their own now, um, and they don't really need. A lot more support
4: from us. Well, yeah, the, the SSP is a species yeah. survival program. So that's a good segue into how do you think koalas are doing in the wild? not, not good. right? <laughs> <Yeah>, thumbs down, <laughs> thumbs right? Down from
0: Jenny. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, so what's going on out I there? I think it them? just depends on who you talk to, but right now, you know, they're just listed as either vulnerable or threatened. Um, and uh, it's just trying to get, you know, Government in Australia because we see it as keepers. The the animal, the the population's declining at a rapid rate, just like other animals, but we see it really significant with the koalas because we work with them day in and day out, and then the research that we take on um, and participate in, we see it firsthand. Um, But it's just.
2: I think one of the biggest challenges is that there's not a really, can't really put your finger on a number of how many koalas are there like like Jenny said depends on who you talk to there could be 80,000 there could could be 300,000 because it's hard to find them in some cases you know we deal with the same things where people say there's more polar bears well no you're just seeing more of them in a concentrated area because they've been driven from where they were so same thing with koalas we we see a lot of them in certain areas because their habitats being fragmented but we're also realizing that there's some out there that we didn't know were there before so we've been working with some researchers to kind of learn more about those colonies we're seeing we are seeing changes in the the types of habitat that they're choosing because they have to Um, so what we do know is that yeah koalas are protected their habitat is not there's a lot of Controversy over that in Australia as there would be here with development. Like, we want to expand, we want to grow our communities, but at what cost? Right,
4: right, right. Yeah, that I means it's the same story worldwide. Right. You know, you look at, at multiple species. So, you're talking about research. I think that's a, that's a good thing to, to talk about. What are we learning about them under human care? So, what are some of the things that you, you're involved with? Some of the studies that you've done to uh, not only know how to keep koalas healthy and happy under your care, but, you know, things that could be translated into the wild.
2: Sensei, you've had some points about stuff at um, St. Bees. Yeah,
0: I've been uh, lucky enough to work on St. B's, I- St. B's Island, and um, this is an island that's uninhabited by humans, so they're really learning a lot about what koalas will do when there's no human presence. And um, but what they were able to use is a lot of the information we were able to gather from captive koalas. um, We were able to use that in the field. They surprisingly didn't know like what size an eight-month-old joey should look like. And then when they came across certain koalas, they would be able to then go, "Hey, we've got these, um, we've got these measurements, and we know what their weight should be at birth and what they should be at eight months." And they were actually able to use that information. To be able to identify um, particular koalas in the wild, um, where they are in their um, growth process. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well,
3: and that's you know, we're, they're so much more accessible to us. I mean, in the wild, it's hard tree, <laughs> hard to see them in the first place. A lot of places, um, but then yeah, actually, to get to them to get measurements or, or something on a joey um, that's not Body something that so a lot good, of yeah. researchers are able to do. Um, so yeah, zoos have really helped with kind of gaining those measurements and weights and developmental stages um, that they can then utilize yeah. when they see one.
4: No, that's, I mean, that's amazing because I that's a new perspective that Jennings talking about as far as I didn't even think about that. Like, what's proper growth? You mm-hmm. know, growth trajectories of the young. So then you can go translate that in the wild because they're under perfect condition, almost perfect conditions yeah, here.
0: Perfect body condition. Right. Compare that to a wild koala. Um, we were finding on the on the island that um, these koalas were in great health, they didn't have to worry about food sources, um, so we were able to use our measurements and body weights and compare those to the, and we found those to be about the same, but then you go into other areas and now they're able to use that information and hopefully they can gain some understanding of maybe, you know, there are some stressors that are causing, you know, the decline in weight or they don't look as, um, as fit as they should. Um, so it's nice to be able to use this information and share it with the researchers. Yeah,
4: and that's and that's gonna help their conservation, you know, and and out in the field. Because it's it's like I said it's very difficult to study them in the field. And
2: I think I was like not super scientific, but another thing is the fact that we can see them. I feel like (laughs) (laughs) we we like granted, we see them at a very close level here at the Mm -hmm. zoo, but when you're looking up a tree, um and you're just looking for a little mottled white bottom amongst the leaves with the clouds in the background, that can be very hard to see and you know we were at Candace and I have both been out to the field in the blue mountains and I don't know if, if you could say the same for your trip but there were people in our group that had had never been out in the wilderness before and had never seen a koala before and you know they're hiking along and hiking along and you know as koala keepers you're like we're looking for something that's still up in a tree 40 maybe to 100 feet above your head like We need to teach everybody how to slow down and to look. And then, you know, to your surprise, you may have, you know, three koalas overhead that you would have walked right past. Um, So I feel like that was something kind of that I had to lend to my group that was very into just trudging through the woods. Um, But it was really magical to see, like, my first wild koala out of Australia. It it was amazing. and then And then that immediately made the connection of, like, this is why we do what we're doing. Yeah. to yeah. get out here and, and see that we're helping and seeing that, that the work we're doing through our loan, loan program, providing funding to these projects in Australia that is allowing the researchers to radio collar and GPS track animals and see where they're going and see that they're moving up hillsides and raising joeys at elevations that they've never seen before and stuff like that so we're seeing them live in areas that we wouldn't expect they would even try to climb Mm -hmm. uh you know up these hillsides rocky Rocky cliffs and you know they're doing it because they're finding a nice quiet solace somewhere outside of development That. But, you know, so a whole basically like a whole new population in the Blue Mountains that that yeah, wasn't
3: there nobody before. thought yeah. existed. Yeah, so it's a great discovery basically, um, and it does put more koala numbers out there.
2: Um, but that doesn't mean that they're they still don't need help.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they're yeah. I think it little puts
2: little a great little emphasis little. on the fact that the land needs to be protected, you know, and maintained because they've chosen this space and they're learning to utilize it Mm. so
3: this is one of the perks of being a san diego zoo koala keeper is getting to participate with the research projects that the zoo supports Um, so we're very lucky uh, (laughs) uh, to that's also kind of a special thing about working with koalas not every zookeeper working with different animals gets this opportunity so uh, we're very lucky that we kind of get to see where our money goes and participate in the actual research, which
4: is awesome. Well, I think it's, it's important, too, that you publicize that. You know, tell more people about what you're doing, because I think a lot of people think, oh, zoos make money hand over fist, which we know that's not true. Anybody that's worked <laughs> in the zoo industry knows that. that's not true. Zoos operate on extremely tight budgets um, because it's very expensive to keep these animals, but being that San Diego gives so much back is is amazing and I've known that you know for a lot of years because I'm a big fan of the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> but can you talk and, and it, you know I know it's not specifically doing with koalas but some of the other global efforts that San Diego's doing. I've done some rhino research, so I've worked with some of the researchers out at the Wild Animal Park. But you know, do you know of some of the other programs like the koala program that San Diego is doing right now?
0: um well, you know we've always got- the well-known condors yes, but
2: california yes. um, condors yeah. i mean most recently i'm thinking so our like giraffe feeding program at the zoo funds the northern rangelands trust and uh in africa and so we've had keepers go out in the last couple of years and be a part of the um Grevy zebra count um so help identifying animals and basically doing a census of how many grueby zebras are out there and uh, probably in conjunction with that, they've you know done a number of census opportunities with other animals that they see as well. I'm trying to think of some of the
4: other. Hey, this is Chris. Welcome back. We had some technical issues. Basically, my card got full, and so I had to switch my card, and it caught a break in the interview with the koala team from the San Diego Zoo. While I was fixing my card... Uh, Candice brought up an email that she got from work and was discussing this system called ZIMS, which we were talking about. So I decided to leave it in the interview because it is so important. And it's just another key piece, and and I cannot tell you how important this is. Zoos sharing information across the world on the reproduction of these animals, the care of these animals, what they're eating, any science data that they get that they are starting to share this across agencies, and that not only impacts animals under human care, but most importantly, impacts the animals in the wild. The more information we can get, the better these animals will be, you know, not only under human care as emergency populations, things like that, but also in the wild. So we pick back up where we're talking about the ZIM system. I hope you're enjoying the interview. Uh, we're almost there towards the end, so you know, listen to the koala team from San Diego Zoo. So.
3: But so it's the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences confirms that critical information hmm. such as fertility and survival rates is missing from global data for more than 98% of known species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians. What? Yeah, so this is where Zim's, like, our information system comes in because, again, like we were talking about with researchers not really having access to no, they don't, yeah. birth, yeah. you know, reproduction age, and that kind of thing that we see all I'm the fair. time.
2: I'm in, I'm in shock mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, 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 I seriously. know. When I read, I was like, this is great for this <laughs> podcast that we're about to do. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Over recording, so let's <laughs> okay. talk about that. No, that's true, though. I mean, as a...
2: I think finally, after all this time, we're coming together with ZIM. So what is it, the Zoological Information, information Management System? system.
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah, I know John's been talking about that. Um,
2: it's, we need to share that and information. And not, every, like, so, uh, I, not like, every zoo uses
3: it, like, so that's one. But, but even
0: with research, though, you know, I get, you know, they always want to protect their information. But no, but I think, I, well, that.
4: that's,
2: it's, it's out there now. I think that certain institutions, sure, but can reach out now and and say i really need information on x number of things you know for joey information or for you know and and now we can dip into a pool that's bigger than ours like we can we can see how things are going in other places kind of like when i had someone ask me if it's okay to have an eight kilogram female koala and, and that kind of blew my mind but you know what she's big and she's healthy you know keep me posted on Zim
4: (laughs) so so welcome back we had a little technical difficulties so really quick Candice pulled up an email that was talking about a recent study talking about how zoos and are sharing information critical to research and I just it hits home for me because when we we did some elephant work on because we want to do AI and elephants something we can't do really well right now and, and the researchers I was working with and it's a very it's very tough to get the information out there so you're saying that zoos are sharing their information across this new system so that's you're excited i just saw the excitement from you all (laughs) you're like this is amazing and now we can you know share info across uh, across the world and i think that's where we're going especially in conservation
3: well and just hearing those percentages of missing data that researchers aren't able to collect from wild animals. The fact that zoological
4: facilities are
3: able to get this information and fill those gaps
4: is insane. It's huge. From a scientist's perspective, it's huge. It's absolutely critical. Or we're going to lose a lot of biodiversity, bottom line, period. You know, it's going to be too late before we figure out how to AI elephants or if this embryo transfer will work in the northern and southern white rhinos, things like that. So great stuff. So what? You know, you, you've all been to Australia. What's some of the work that the institutions down there are doing with koalas and their conservation?
2: <laughs> That's a great question. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. I don't
0: what? have. I don't. We don't have that information.
2: Um. Some of the team that I was working with, um, I think, with some of the grad students were. Looking into tree preference because when we were yes. when we were um, tracking koalas, we would sometimes find them in trees that weren't eucalyptus, and so then kind of following up more on some research that came out that sometimes koalas will rest in acacia trees because the trunk of the tree runs cooler than the trunk of a eucalyptus tree. Mm. So on a warm day, they might seek out a different tree for cooling purposes. Um, so, I think they were looking at how much time they're spending in trees other than eucalyptus for feeding versus resting. Um, i trying to think of some of the other... Yeah, we
3: definitely did that, too. We tagged... Whenever we found a koala, you tagged the tree, identified the tree, all that kind of stuff. Proximity right. to the last koala yeah. we found, or koalas in the area.
2: And then some of the other folks that we were working with that were working in the Victorian koala range were doing a lot of translocations. So when they're finding concentrations of koalas on like um, eucalyptus plantations that were going to be used for paper pulp, they would go in and collect all of the animals and find a suitable alternative habitat for them. Um, And also in those same kind of plantations, trying to encourage the... Uh, business owner to employ koala spotters before they fell their trees so that um there's someone out there saying okay look there's a koala that's gone up this tree and so let's not cut the six or ten trees around this area until we can translocate them or until they find another place to go so that's super cool that that the researchers are getting the community more involved. And even, you know, like, it's their business. They make money off those trees. And the fact that people are taking the care and concern to protect those trees for the animal. Right. Because, if you know, koalas are hard up. If there's no trees, there's nowhere for them to live. And a lot of times we see these photos where a plantation has been cut down and there's a koala sitting on the ground or, you know, even worse, a koala who has died because the tree is cut down with them in it. Right. Um so we need to be able to, to kind of work together and maintaining the business for the tree farmer, mm-hmm. but also help protecting the koalas, because they don't know that that tree was not meant for them to live in. Right,
4: right, you right, know? right, right.
2: That's all they know. They go where the food is. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah that's, 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 they're trying to survive. So switching gears a little bit, so any funny or touching koala stories many years Ooh, <laughs> too,
3: that many <laughs> i think we touched
2: on the uh chasing,
3: chasing. story yeah.
2: those are always a bit comical i mean i had a so wannaroo i think colette was her first right so first time mom um her joey was exploring just just slightly out of the pouch and lost her grip um and was falling so dangling and um I had nothing nearby. Well, I just reached my arm up, which, of course, led to her peeing all over my face. But, like, you can't really be. Job has Yeah, like, you, like, my concern is not the fact that I probably have koala pee in my mouth. No. It's <laughs> that, like, this little joey could fall. Right. And so, you know, I had someone run over and get a stump that I could climb onto. And at first it was great because, you know, I said before that the moms are really, they really care for their joeys. But it really took her, like, a five count when I was like, come get your joey! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll never forget having a face full
0: of joey. Whoops! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no what else? No what else? No. Although, Wanaroo likes to pawn her joeys oh, off yeah. occasionally for someone to babysit while she goes over to- over to another tree and eats. I think that's that they need
3: their
2: alone time.
3: They do. the luxury
2: of our koala female yard setup is that when females do have joeys at the same time they can Pitch them with someone else, and they will. Of another, mom. They, another mama will feed their baby. Um, pretty sure that's not a phenomenon that happens in the wild because mamas just want to protect their one baby, right. and so right. our mamas have a little bit of a Edgy. luxury there. <laughs> what are some other funny things we know we have? Them.
0: Well, Lindsay had a koala that she really favored. Her name was Bradley, by the way. and he was so lovable. He was actually. Um, one of the three Australians that came in twenty thirteen, I mean, yeah, thirteen, and uh, he would just come down onto the ground, and he literally would put his arms up and want you to pick him up. <laughs> now, no koala would ever want you to do that. If right. anything, they go up higher and they want you to stay away. But he was just so personable, and he really liked that human interaction, and um, he was adorable.
2: I was like. So which means I used to bring him to meetings and I would hold him at meetings and just collect his poop in my hand while <laughs> he
0: was doing all about the poop.
2: <laughs> I didn't think we should venture that. <laughs> <all>. Okay. <laughs> he was the darling. Yeah, I used to, um, take him everywhere because he wanted to go. Yeah. He was the blessing. He was a good ambassador koala. He was a great ambassador koala. <laughs> so when- he got to be on TV.
3: One really cool thing that uh, we do get to do if we have a nice ambassador koala like Bradley uh, is that we're involved with the Make-A-Wish program. So we will get Make-A-Wish families that come and see the koalas, um, and they actually get the full-on up-close. We will bring a koala out for them to see. Uh, nobody else gets that experience. Right. Um, so those are always real touching. Kind of stories and moments with the families, for sure. Yeah, connected with the animals—that's
4: amazing. So, a couple more questions, and I'll let you go because you're probably exhausted. You're know, like, you have been up since five in the morning. You wake up at like five fifty-five and get to work for five minutes. I would, I yeah. wish, no. <laughs> not traffic here. So, how do we convince others fighting for koalas? Let's just say koalas. You know, how do I? Conv- we have a bunch of listeners in Australia. How do we convince them? I mean, these are animal fanatics, so. How do we tell them to convince their friends and their government that saving koalas is worthwhile? It's a big question. It's a big question.
2: I mean, I think it comes down to like we're all in it together and as much as as humans we're kind of taking over so to speak. Um feel like we we owe it to, to protect them. And I know that kind of is more of a blanket statement for, for all animals and not just koalas specifically. But it hurts my heart to think that people don't care about animals and, and feel that sense of responsibility. You know, the same way that you would feel for your own pet, like that you know that you are responsible for taking care of their needs. So why should we not have the same responsibility for animals in nature that at this point rely on how we live our lives in order for them to live their lives. And these
3: aren't, you know, they're numbers for all animals. They're not declining um, naturally. We are the cause for their decline in most cases. So, I yeah, I mean, we we are responsible for that so we need to protect them and we know, I mean it's just going to cause kind of a cascade effect, you know you lose an animal and it triggers something and something else is lost and something else is lost and it just kind of continues on and on and on um, I have been asked a lot about why, what do koalas do? Why are they important? They just sleep for 20 hours a day, um and that's how a lot of people view it: is that like they're not doing anything for the environment; they're pointless. But that's not true at all.
2: So,
4: yeah. Anything add to that
2: one? <laughs> <laughs> it's so big; it's tough hard one. to. Yeah. like... That's, well, that's a tough, tough question. Because yeah. I can't make anybody do anything that they they don't want to do. I feel like you know the best we can do is share as much information and knowledge as we have, and hope that it
0: triggers somebody. As a keeper, sometimes just making that one connection and hoping that, you know, they they took something away from your interaction and they'll go back and they'll talk to their friends and family and the next thing you know, you've got 20 people who start caring about the environment again and uh, our future generations will have these animals, you know, to take care of. I worry that, you That's know. That's the biggest
3: thing. That is, do you want your children will, yeah. and grandchildren to have koalas? in the world yeah, because to only
2: see something if
3: things you know, continue the, internet, the
0: way they go it's just I mean, yeah I see you know it's, it's almost 2020 and I see things on the internet koalas could be extinct by 2050 and I'm like that's 30 years that's not, that's, that's still our
2: lifetime and yes. like you know you spend yeah. so much time thinking oh for my grandkids it's like no for me right like at this point we've gotten to the point where it, it's no longer for the future it's for right now yep
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> you know, and I keep speaking of raising global consciousness of uh, protecting the natural environment. So, so from your perspective, and I know I kind of before we start recording, I asked you this, but the moral obligation—do we have that moral obligation to fight for koalas and all those endangered species? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes.
2: It feels daunting, but like. make a difference. I feel like don't do nothing because it feels too big. Do something because you never know. That's a good one, Lynn.
4: And on that, we'll end it. <laughs> so, Alright, last, last question. Before you go, I know, you're like, okay, that's good. Yeah, that's a good philosophical yeah. um, So, how do we help you and your efforts, the San Diego Zoo—not just coming to San Diego, please come to San Diego. <laughs> come go to the,
1: to the Diego. zoo. It's the best together. city on earth.
4: This is where I grew up. <laughs> but you know, how do we help koalas? The koala program for the San Diego Zoo, or San Diego Zoo in general, for people that can't come here.
3: Uh, I mean, I think definitely just supporting the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Conservancy, um, which funds a lot of our conservation projects. Um, that's kind of
2: the yeah. F- follow us like, yeah. um, follow the zoo and the safari park on social media share your stories you know just speak out for conservation talk to us when you come to the zoo
0: and we're feeding the koalas you're allowed to talk to us I promise <laughs> but please don't say what What kind of animal are you <laughs> I don't know how
1: many the times exhibit. they talk about
0: koala to rake <laughs> uh, if I had a nickel for every time. You'd be retired. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like yeah. I mean, oh, living in Australia. Need, no keepers don't make that much.
4: No, no, no. It's a labor of love. It
0: certainly is. Yeah, yeah. you do love. it because you love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I know you busy day. Thank you, Candace,
4: for setting this up in San Diego Zoo. Please come visit. We will push them all week, forever <laughs> wow. and ever and ever. That is my zoo. I love it.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah, Yeah, thank you so much.